You know, when Ann was asking me about uh, giving the, a short testimony, she kept saying, just a short testimony. Just a short testimony, and I thought, I believe you. <laughs> Thank you, hon. And I was thinking as, um, you know, the words to that song, you know, the promise of God is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. There's probably nobody in this room, or maybe a few, maybe a few, there may be actually a few in this room that have never really felt the, uh, the deep hurt of loss. There are probably not very many. The capacity to have love, the capacity to care about someone else is a gift from God, something that God has put in, in us. And so when, we, when something happens and we lose someone we love or we go through a difficulty, it, what's interesting is this, when you lose someone you love, the others that you love care, but they can't be the, they can't be the comfort that you need. But there is one that can be the comfort that we need always. I'm glad that we are able to, as, you know, as Polly commented on our love for her and our prayer and our kindness, I'm glad that that's true. It's wonderful that that's true. But there's one that loves, you know, as I say, at 2.30 in the morning like nobody else. And, uh, you know, I, uh, for some reason, I, you know, I, well, by the way, thank you. Though many of you said, you know, that you're glad I'm feeling better. You know, I, I felt very poorly the first couple of days of this last week. Actually, Sunday after the Easter service, which we had such a wonderful time together, but I went home and didn't feel well at all. And then Sunday was terrible, and I so I didn't sleep for a couple of nights well at all. And one of the things I don't know, this is I, let me recommend this to you: if you can't sleep, pray. If you pray, one of two things will happen. Either Satan will come and rock your bed for you so you'll go to sleep, or much will get done, one or the other. And uh, so if I can't sleep, I just pray. I just, I just realize the Lord gives his beloved sleep. He, doesn't, he does not intend for us to be awake all night, every night. But there are times when he does intend for us to be awake. There are times when he does want to burden our hearts about the need of somebody else and so he keeps us awake to be able to pray concerning these things. So do so. When, when you're awake at night, don't, listen, don't get up and get on the computer. Don't go out and watch television. When you're awake late at night, pray. Open the Word and pray. And, uh, and God will meet you there. And I believe, that, I believe that God has accomplished a tremendous amount of things when just one person praying deep into the night because the Lord was there with them. Open your Bible with me, if you would. Uh, John read uh, John chapter uh, three, three, excuse me, started in verse 13. John chapter 3. Uh, we are looking at something. By the way, again, somebody commented to me today about the uh, microphone that I'm wearing. And uh, um, I, forgot, I think it was Joel Olstein is what they called it. So, uh, and uh, I just want to make reference. The reason that I wear this is because a number of people have asked me, especially when I do keynotes, because I wear my mic on my lapel on this side. When I turn my head, you can't hear me. And those of you that can hear normally can, but those that require the hearing assistance, when you turn your head away from the microphone, they can't hear well. So I'm doing that for that. So I'm not doing it to be like Joel Olstein, although I, although I did order a spinning globe for the back of the church a little while ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, James has put this up here for us. I just want to take a minute. I don't want to spend a lot of time. We introduced this a couple of weeks ago. S-T-E-P-S, Steps of Faith. Uh, you could put a period after each one of these you want to. In fact, uh, my daughter Amanda asked me when I gave this to her originally to have a poster made if I wanted to add the periods, and I said I didn't because of aesthetics, but really it would be more accurate to have the periods in there. Uh, so we're going to look at five things, Steps of Faith, Your Walk with God, God seems to be focusing a great deal uh, this year, 2018, here at Tidewater in walking with God. Um, knowing God, walking with Christ together is a uh, discipleship ministry we just started. We had it yesterday. Uh, we, had, uh, we started it last month, I believe. I guess that would be true. So we had it the first Saturday of last month, and we had the first Saturday of this month. 
there were probably twice as many here this uh, Saturday as there were the first Saturday, a great room full of people. We split uh, men with uh, boys and ladies with girls and had a wonderful time together. The reason that I mention this is because the Lord has really burdened the hearts, not mine, not just mine, but the hearts of the, uh, of the elders of Tidewater that we want our young people to hear what God has done in our lives continually. That this would be something... Um, in the early church, Jeff Dryley would run into you all week long in the town that you lived in. And because of how we live, in the, especially in the area where we live, we don't run into each other. And you may be happy you don't run into Jeff Dryley all week long. That may be true. But we don't run into each other daily like we would. And the, and the disadvantage to that is this. We don't get to hear what God is doing in each other's lives. We don't get to, we do, you know, your 14-year-old daughter does not get to hear what God is doing in the 40-year-old woman's life. And so the whole purpose of the discipleship, of knowing God, walking with Christ together, is to just get together in a room, open the Word of God, and simply go around whatever circle you're in and share what God is showing you and how it has affected your life. And it's been wonderful. We had a wonderful time uh, together yesterday. But this was born, this, this study was born a few months ago. Someone in the church led someone to Christ who, a co-worker, and they don't go to church here. They're going to church someplace else. But somebody mentioned, I think Gary Paul mentioned on a Thursday night study, we were talking about it, and he said, um, wouldn't it be wonderful if there were, and of course there are many materials we can give them for this, but um, what are the things that every new believer should take with them? What, what are, and then I thought, so this is where this comes from. So the S-T-E-P-S uh, was going to be called First Steps, but what I realized as, I, as the Lord was burdening me about the study is I think these five things are things that you want to start with, stay with, and end with. I think these are things that you want to have as your focus all of your life as a Christian, just five simple things. And so we begin here, and you'll see down here the first S. There are two S's, but the first one, S is for Savior. This is lesson one of five. And I don't want to, I, we already started this a couple weeks ago. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the slides we already have been through. So S is for Savior. I can't overstate this slide. Quite honestly, I could put this slide up and just say, please sit here until you understand the significance of this. Your salvation means nothing without your Savior. Do you understand? The foundation of your salvation is not your feelings or the church you attend. The salvation, the foundation of your salvation is whoever your Savior is. So it is not about our salvation. This is the, so many people come to see me because they are concerned about their salvation. And what they mean by this is how they feel about their salvation. And what I want to do, and I do it every time, is turn their attention and say, it's not about you. It's about your Savior. Who's your Savior? Am I your Savior? Are your parents your Savior? Are you your Savior? Who's your Savior? If Jesus is your Savior, the Jesus of the Bible, if the Christ is your Savior, if God the Son is your Savior, you're fine. Because the Father is pleased with the blood that the Son has shed. Amen? It's not about you, and it's not about me. So your salvation, which is what, so it's, S is not for salvation. That's what I want to say. S is not for salvation. S is for Savior. So if you get nothing out of the study except for this, S is for Savior. Your Savior matters. The church can't be your Savior. No one in your family, no one in your life can be your Savior. Jesus is the Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. From that point, we uh, move forward. And we looked at point number one, God is salvation. And the reason I made reference to this is because thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. We're not going to go over these again, but Jesus means God is salvation. Jesus is actually a transliteration into Greek of, of uh, Joshua. Joshua means God is salvation. So when you say the name Jesus, what you're saying is God 
is salvation. So your Savior is the God that came to save you. That's so important that you understand that. Now, I understand this is not a typical sermon, and it won't be for the next few weeks as we do this, but I want you to take these notes with you. I want you to have these. I want everybody to be able to, to, to go through these passages themselves and to take them with you. Point number two, our Savior is the Christ. And boy, how significant this is. Um, something happened just before Easter, just before the Resurrection Sunday, I was somewhere and I heard someone talking about Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. And it was being discussed kind of as a historical fact, or was it a historical fact, that kind of an idea. And I realized as I was listening that the people that were discussing it were acting as if Jesus were a man born on earth who went to religious services and thought, hmm, this is really good stuff. I think I'm going to focus my life on this. I think I'm going to live a really good religious life. I think I'm going to do the things that this God would want me to do in such a way that others would see it and say, boy, he sure walks close to God. And as if Jesus was that kind of a person. And then basically he got a little too close, did a little too many nice things, and people got sick of him, and they killed him. That's not what happened. Our Savior is the Christ. You go back to Genesis. We don't have time. We're not going to do it today, but it's really important. You go back to Genesis. God promised from the, from the time you and I ruined everything, God promised to rescue us. God promised himself to rescue us. But he promised that he would send a seed, that someone would be born of the woman who would come and rescue us all, and Jesus of Nazareth is that Christ. Your entire Bible is about the coming of the Christ, who's going to send forth the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, into our lives and change everything. And we live in that light today. You and I live in an age where the Christ has come and paid for our sins and not only saved us from our sins, but sent forth the Holy Ghost to change us completely. And we have that power, and it's what's going on. And the difference between religious people and new Christians or new creatures is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit causes us to be able to love and to have peace, to have joy, to have uh, long-suffering and compassion. And that's what's going on in our lives. Again, we don't have time to go over this. I do want to get on to point number three. Uh, we did look at this last time. I am going to start here, making a little, uh, slowing down just a little bit. Our Savior loves us, right? So the first thing, we, God is salvation. Our Savior is the Christ. And then our Savior loves us. This is, um, how many of you, I want, I'm looking for testimony. How many of you would testify that you couldn't believe it? I mean, literally, you couldn't believe it when you actually began to understand that God really loved you. Can anybody, anybody testify to that? I couldn't believe it when I began to really understand that God loved me. I couldn't believe it. I really couldn't. I knew there was a God. I knew there was a God long before I was saved. I knew there was a God, and I knew he was keeping score. Not in a mean-spirited way. I just knew that he was accurate. I knew he knew what I was doing. I knew he knew what was going on in the world. I knew that he had an, an accounting, if you will, of the things that I had done in life, and I was losing, if you will. I just didn't want to meet him. I didn't want to meet him because when I met him, I knew it was going to be bad, and I just didn't want it to be today. I, I mean, God, I'm going to stand before God someday, but not today. I'll avoid him. He doesn't seem to uh, bother me too much, so I think we'll be all right. And then I began very, very uh, quickly in my early 20s, I began to be very, well, I don't know what the word would be, um, empty, empty. I guess that's the only word. I had, really, I had a really wonderful life, and I began to be very, very empty. Surely we're not supposed to just live like this is what started to run through my mind. Surely we're not supposed to just live like this. And then I started having some idea, maybe there's a way to walk close with God in the other religions of the world that would allow for me to have uh, if you will, an experience of God without the sin guilt that comes from Christianity. And so I pursued these other world religions because I thought, well, there is a God, right? And surely there's a way to have some kind of a relationship with him. And as I began to pursue them, and I'm not, I'm not here this morning to speak uh, unkindly about the false religions of the world. I'm here, only here to point out that they are false religions, that they are not the truth. And here's what I, here's what I realized. Here's what I realized. There is a God, and he 
says that he loves us because he does. Here's the problem. I didn't understand why. Why would God, right? For, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth, God demonstrates, God proves, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The first time someone said to me, you are guilty, you are guilty, and God still loves you and wants to rescue you, I was thrilled. You know, I, I talk, Glenn Mongold and I talk about realizing that God would forgive us. I, why? Why? And the answer is because God is love, right? The, our, our Savior loves us. I have not earned, have you? I haven't. I have not earned my salvation. I've done nothing worthy of salvation, but that's what Jesus has done for all of us. So when you think of your Savior, realize that God is salvation. Remember that. God is salvation. Two, our Savior is the Christ. This is the actual promise of God. And then number three, your Savior loves you. Our God, our Savior, loves us. Number four, I think. Number four, I think again. Somehow I seem to have lost control here. You guys think that happened a long time ago. Number four, our Savior makes us new. Our Savior makes us new. Remember when I said before that Jesus, listen, please hear me. Jesus did not just come to pay for your sins. He didn't. He did come to pay for your sins. He did. But that's not, that's not the only reason that he came. He came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He came to make us new. He, listen, and I mean brand new. And let's look at a couple of verses. We looked at these last time we were together. Jesus answered, well, now I get all kinds of going forwards. Hold on. It was saving them up. Okay. I need you to stop now. James, if it doesn't stop, hit it with a stick back there. Okay, thanks. Okay. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, again, this is spoken to a very religious man. A very religious man in this chapter, right, John chapter 3? A very lost young lady in chapter 4. All of mankind, all of mankind is somewhere between Nicodemus a doctor of the law who went to church all the time, and this woman at the well who only came to get her water in the middle of the day because nobody wanted to be around her. And, you may, and I don't know where you think you are. You may think, well, I'm a lot more, I'm a lot, I, I would personally say I was a lot closer to the woman at the well than I was Nicodemus. But here's the good news. To, G, to Nicodemus, G, Jesus said, Nicodemus, your religion is not enough. But Nicodemus, I am more than enough for you. And to the woman at the well, Jesus said to her, Honey, your sin is not too much because I am more than enough for you. Do you understand? Because Jesus is going to make, he's not going to make the woman at the well new. He's going to make Nicodemus new. Do you understand? Because when Jesus saves us, he makes, now hear me, hear me. If you're not new, don't pretend you are. It will do you no good to pretend that you are new. If you are new, then praise God that you are new. If you are a new creature, then you are being conformed to the image of Christ. Now you have to act like you're being conformed to the image of Christ. You are being conformed to the image of Christ. If you're, if you're having to act like you're being conformed to the image of Christ, you just have dead religion. And God does not want you to have dead religion. Jesus didn't die for you so you could struggle with your salvation. He died for you to give you new life, and that more abundantly. Therefore, 2 Corinthians says in 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what's it say? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and this is, boy, what an important word this is, right? Behold, what? All things are become new. All things are become. By the way, it doesn't say becoming new. They are become new. When you were saved, everything changed. When you were saved, everything changed. It's different standing over here. I may, move, I may alternate back and forth. Of course, then I didn't want to have to wear it. I could just stand over here and I wouldn't have to wear this thing on my head anymore. All things have become new. What God has done in our life is to make us new creatures. I, I, I can't overstate this. You know, I, I, I point to uh, Ronnie Jacobs probably often because of Ronnie Jacobs' very vocal um, testimony 
of having been saved for a long time, but having not been aware that he was new like God wanted him to. And his testimony is not unique, but it is not normally as vocal. Many people who were saved a number of years ago and who have not really walked in the power of God that God wants for them just um, slowly start doing it a little bit more instead of saying to everybody out loud, look, it doesn't have to be dead. It doesn't have to be empty. It doesn't have to be phony. We don't have to be false. We don't have to have a plastic smile. God is really who he says he is. And God has the power to make us who he wants us to be. That's the testimony. We are new creatures. If Christ has set you free, then you are free indeed. And here's what that means. Sin no longer has dominion over you. Your flesh no longer runs the show. You don't, listen, listen. If you're a new creature, your flesh still whines like a mule. It does. But it no longer has control. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you are a new creature, the Holy Spirit can conquer your flesh. And praise God for that. Now here's what happens. You don't get any glory for that. None. When the Holy Spirit conquers your flesh, the Holy Spirit gets all the glory. But that's only appropriate because he's the one doing all the conquering. Yes? If you don't believe me or you don't understand, go read Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 is a born-again believer who keeps trying in their own strength to do the things of God and failing and failing and failing and failing until finally saying, oh, wretched man that I am. This person is a new creature saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the answer is Jesus Christ shall. Amen? Because what I can't do, here's the thing, when you get saved, your conscience immediately goes on like steroids, right? What bothered you a little bit before you were saved bothers you a lot after you're saved. You no longer want any of these, you don't want to be mean anymore, you don't want to be bitter anymore, you don't want to be selfish anymore, you don't want to drink, smoke, do any of the terrible things you used to, you don't want to do them anymore. But what you don't have within you on your own is the power to stop. But the Holy Spirit has the power to stop you. And that's so wonderful. And so then what happens is this. People see real, substantial change in the life of a new Christian. And what they say is, how are you doing this? And here's where you make a mistake. Oh, come to my church. Now, you should be able to invite them to your church. But the church isn't making the difference. You understand? Jesus is making the difference. The Holy Spirit is making the difference. Notice what it says here. It says, being born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. In other words, it is not a matter of men begetting men and women. Do you understand? In other words, it's not being born naturally, it's being born supernaturally. And what is the incorruptible seed? And boy, praise God for this. This is the incorruptible seed. Isn't that wonderful? You know, we are to go forth weeping, bearing precious seed. You are not, listen, this is so important. I'm not sure that you can really bear precious seed if you won't weep. If you want to go through your life casually speaking every now and then to somebody about Jesus, I'm not sure that you're ever going to be the servant that God wants you to be. But if you'll go forth weeping, caring, in other words, stop being selfish and caring more about others. If you'll go forth weeping, bearing precious seed, the Bible says you will doubtless come again, right? right? Rejoicing and bringing what? Your sheep, in other words, there will be a response to the word of God. Why? Because it's incorruptible. Because it's quick and powerful. You say, I don't know how to talk to people about Jesus. And the answer is, can you read your Bible? Because your words are not powerful, but the word of God is powerful. Can you quote a verse of scripture? Uh, Gary Paul asked this question yesterday to a bunch of young men in a room. He said, give me a verse of scripture. You don't even have to tell me the reference. Just give me a passage of scripture. And it was quiet. And then finally some young man said something. Somebody said, Jesus wept, right? And everybody chuckled because it's like, of course, a teenage boy needs to give a passage of Scripture, and so he gives a two-word a two verse, right? Jesus wept. But here's the point. The point that he was making is this. If it's not in you, you can't quote it when you need it. It doesn't come out because it's not there, and it needs to be there. And here's the good news. If you are a new creature, then you are continually being fed by the word of God and it will be in you and you will testify and it will make a difference because it is the incorruptible this is what you know what you know Bob Bornforth his name is Bob Bornforth last year I did his funeral 
Bob Bornfleth led me to Christ. That's an accurate way to say this. Bob Bornfleth pointed to Jesus as the Messiah, as the Savior, as the, guy who, as the God who loved me. He did that. But this, but listen, when I said to him, how do I have what you have? This is what he said. Open a Bible. Just like that. Open a Bible. And I said, no, no, you just tell me. And this is what he said. I would be afraid to tell you because I would tell you wrong. Open the Bible. He said, you do not need me. And I would say that as the pastor this morning. You do not need me to be saved. You just need this Bible and an honest heart. That's all you need. This Bible and an honest heart. And if you'll have an honest heart and open the Bible, God will meet you there and God will save you. Because it's the incorruptible word of God that's going to do the work. It's the powerful word of God. Now, verse uh, 34. A new commandment. A new commandment. I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you that ye also love one another. So here, our new Savior makes us new. We saw in the last one that our God loves us. Now here's the thing about being new. Uh, this is tough. This is a hard thing to talk about. It's a hard thing to talk about. And my mom is visiting. It's good to have my mom. She's the very young looking lady sitting up here. Beside my wife, who I've been married for, uh, to for 29 year, wonderful years today. It's our anniversary, 29 years. Thank you. It's easy to do. You take Amanda's birthday and add one year. Amen? Which is probably better for your pastor than subtracting one year. That's, you know what I'm saying? So, Anyway, so, but my mom's visiting. Um, and my mom's known me most of my life. We can pretend an awful lot of things on Sunday morning. But my mom knows me better than that. Kathy, my wife, knows me better than that. Rebecca, you know, and Matt. Matt's been married to Amanda just for a couple of years. Matt knows me too well now for me to lie about who I am. If you understand what I'm saying. This is the thing. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. This is the, this is really, what do you have, right? What do you, right? This is in John chapter 13, verse 34. Jesus is getting ready to leave. He's speaking only to his disciples at this point. He's not, he's not preaching to the world anymore. He's now in the inner circle to the people that know that he's the Christ. And this is what he says. If you know who I am, then you have, the, if you know who I am, then you can love other people. Because the power that the Holy Spirit's about to bring into your life is going to be able to change everything. This is what God wants. If, if people, if people um, were asked about you specifically... Uh, I'm going to testify, I'm going to, you know, often I use my son Andrew, or um, Amanda. Amanda wrote, I don't know how long ago, a year ago, maybe two years ago, probably a year ago, to me, and she said, you know, I've received a number of requests from different people on the internet about things having to do with a couple of different things. She does a post, and people have written, you know, asking questions about what about this and what about that, and this is what she said. She said, but what people haven't asked me is how do you love the way you love? And she said, and I realize I'm not sure that I'm living the way, all the way that God would have me to. If people, if what, if what, my, if what my advantage to others is, is less than love. Do you understand? And I wrote back to her and said, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Because that's the difference. Do you understand? Baptist, specifically Baptist have a tendency to just want to be right doctrinally. And, 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 you know, and, and you need to be accurate about what the Word of God says and teaches. You do. You do. I mean, it does matter what the Word of God actually says. But if you're not loving, then your doctrine is wrong. It's really that simple. They go together, right? The, on the back of the wall, there it says, now the end of the commandment, the goal. The goal of all this is cherry out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. This is the difference. See, our Savior makes us new. Our Savior loves us. Our Savior makes us new. And, and they combine together to John 13, 34, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. Now notice what he says here, right? This is the same command, by the way, to husbands. Husband, lo husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and what? Gave himself for it. So here's what he says. To all of us, by the way, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? Yes? I mean, if I just simply say to you, love each other, and you say, I'll give it a shot, right? But if I say to you, 
Love like Jesus loves. Now you only have two choices. Either you can say, I can't, or God's going to have to work that in me, one or the other. And both are true, by the way. I can't. I can't love like that. And the, but the truth of the matter is, yes, yes, you can, just not in your flesh. But the Holy Spirit can. And I tell you what, I am thrilled. I, you know, I am thrilled, truly thrilled with the change that God is making in my life and in many of your lives and in the lives of many of the people that we love as we are beginning to realize I don't want any less than what God wants for me. And what God wants is new. That's what God wants. He has saved us and made us new. Point number five, our Savior gives us eternal life. Write this down, John 10, 24 through 30. Turn to John chapter 10, if you would. John chapter 10, verse 34. Excuse me, 24. John 10, 24, sorry. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto them, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Let me stop here for just a moment. A few chapters ago, the disciples are going to testify that Jesus is plainly the Christ. That's what they're going to say. So here, look, look, please look up here. I'm going to go back to reading in a second, but understand this. When you tell people that Jesus is the Christ, not, not, not try to convince them, just tell them. Just flat out state it as a fact, Jesus is the Christ. And they say, I don't know. Say, well, you could. You could. You could if you wanted to, right? Here's what they say. The Jews came to him and said, how long will thou make us to doubt? <laughs> he didn't come to make them doubt. He came to let them know, right? Their doubt is not his fault. Their doubt is their blindness and hard-heartedness to the very clear truth that he continues to present. If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, notice what he says. Look what he says in verse 25. I told you. I told you, and you believed not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now, by the way, verse 31 says, Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? Because of who he's saying that he is. Because he is saying that he is God Almighty. And so they're, wanting, they're getting ready to try to stone him for this. Now, what I want you to notice is this. Look at, verse, look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And here's what he says. And I give unto them eternal life. And then what? And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. There is a group of maybe well-meaning, I guess perhaps well-meaning, they, they, they seem to say that they're well-meaning, uh, people on the planet today that talk about uh, being a new creature, being saved, being born again, and then losing that salvation. Well, that's just not biblical. Do you understand? Listen, losing your salvation is not biblical. The Bible clearly teaches against losing your salvation. A salvation that you can lose is no salvation at all. Do you understand? If, listen, if anything having to do with me being in heaven has anything to do with me getting me there, I'm not going. Do you understand? Jesus didn't save us to get us started on the road to heaven. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He makes it very, very clear here. I give unto them eternal life, and what? They shall never perish. If you have eternal life, you shall never perish. If you, now here's the thing. What, what has replaced this is this phrase, once saved, always saved. And that's not what the Bible says. Now, that, there's truth in it. If you really are born again, if you really are a new creature, you will never not be a new creature. If you are really born of God, you will never not be born of God. That's wonderfully true. But don't go around saying once saved, always saved, because what that makes it sound like is it has something to do with them. What it says is this, I give unto them. It goes back to that first, first slide, right? Savior salvation. 
Our Savior is our salvation. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. This is the point. If Jesus is the one that has made you a new creature, then you are a new creature, and nothing can be done about it. Amen? And I mean, is that, is that not wonderful? I, I mean, when I realize, uh, you get to uh, Romans chapter 5 and 6, and Romans chapter 5 and 6 says, you know, basically, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. When you start to realize, listen, and here's the point, you mean I can't sin my way out of this? And the answer is no. No, you can't. You mean no matter what I did, I couldn't lose my salvation. That's true. That's right. Well, then I can do whatever I want to do. Nobody who's a new creature feels that way. Nobody. Nobody who's truly born again walks around saying, well, because I can be saved no matter what I do, I'll do whatever I want. It's quite the opposite. How, can, how shall we, or how can we, who are dead to sin, what, live any longer therein? I can't live like that anymore. It, how many of you would testify, honestly, because it'll help the people around you, how many of you would testify, I have sinned since I was saved, and it makes me truly sick? Anybody want to testify to that? Yeah. How many of you have, could also testify to this? I have repented of that sin and found that Jesus Christ has cleansed me of that sin and made me righteous. Amen? Anybody want to say that? Yeah, amen. Now, by the way, daily, God is, what God is teaching us is this. This is really important, by the way. Don did a wonderful job in this. It's going to come up when we, when we study the book of uh, Second, uh, uh, 1 John in a little while. We're going to see it all together again. But this is really important. God says to you in your life, hear me, Christian, Christian, God says to you in your life, this is sin. And you say, well, this is nothing like what I used to do. And he said, I know, but I don't want this in your life anymore. Well, I don't have power over this. I do have power over this. Well, Lord, it's okay because everybody's like this. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not. I want to change this in your life. Let me change this in your life. And what he says is this. When we are faithful to confess it that you're right, Lord, this is wrong. This is not what you want for me in my life. When we confess that, he is faithful and just, right? He will cleanse us of that sin, and he will change us. Amen? Yes? Now, here's what happens. Listen, listen. As God continues to change you, you do not become superior. You become more and more humble because you, you like the Apostle Paul, begin to understand, I am the chief of sinners. It was worse than I thought it was, and Jesus is greater than I thought he was. The power of sin in my life is far more than I thought it was. And Jesus is better than I thought he was. Amen? That's the continual testimony. This is what's happening. Our Savior has given us eternal life. And because he has given us eternal life, it has changed the way we're living our life. Just a couple of other verses. <clears throat> verily, verily, I say unto thee, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come and shall not come into condemnation. Amen? Well, I tell you what, we've all heard certain songs, certain Christian songs, certain hymns or, or spiritual songs that talk about the fact you're standing before God and you deserve to be punished, right? And then a voice behind you whispers, child, I'm here, you're not alone, amen? That's my Savior, my interceder, and he's standing in my place, amen? Why? Because I deserve that condemnation, but I'll never receive it. Why? Because he speaks one word and it is grace. He says, that's my child. He is forgiven. Amen? By, by what Christ has just, we just celebrated what Christ has done for us on the cross. He died for our sins to pay for our condemnation. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him, the Father, that hath sent me, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Amen? So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to die. You're going to die. Or the trumpet's going to sound, okay? I don't know which one's going to happen first. <clears throat> I'm going to die. Let's just, we just go, we just start. I'm going to die. And I'm going to stand before God. And I'm going to be fine. And I'm going to be fine. Because of what Jesus has done. Yeah? Why? Because I believe him. I just believe what God says in his word. Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for what? Righteousness. Not for smartness. Not for cleverness, for righteousness, right? You want to be righteous? Believe God at his word. It's all it requires. All God wants of any of us, all God wants from any of us, is, and it's going to be the second point, by the way, the T in, in steps, trust him at his word. That's all he wants for any of us. Trust him at his word. 
John chapter 6, verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. John 10, 10. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Romans 6, 22. But now, right, remember, that's my fault. That's not the, that was just me hitting the wrong button. I'm going to back up. I apologize. This is why I don't do keynotes very often. Get all excited, can't control the remote. <laughs> but, but now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and in the end everlasting life. Here's the wonderful thing. Listen, remember I said in Romans chapter 6, how can we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Because I am a new creature, so now I have been, listen, made free from sin. That doesn't mean that sin doesn't dwell in me. Sin does dwell in me, but it does not have dominion over me anymore. So now I don't have to live like that anymore. Now listen, th this verse is saying some wonderful things. So now I am free, being made free from sin and become the servant of God. So now instead of serving sin, I can now serve God. Amen. So now I have fruit unto holiness. My life can now have a completely different fruit that comes from it. But notice what still happens. Whether we do this right or not, and in the end, everlasting life. See, because if you're a new creature, you have everlasting life. But because you're a new creature, you can have a better life now. God has given you the power through the Holy Spirit to have the life that he intends for you to have. Now, the last slide. Point number six, our Savior is worthy. And I, Hebrews 12, turn to Hebrews 12. We're almost done. Turn to Hebrews 12. The real problem, honestly, obviously, the real problem with uh, these keynotes is they have a certain amount on them, right? And which, what I mean by that is this. They're not ever going to be short. I'm sorry. Keep coming to church for the next couple weeks. We'll be over it in a little while. I really want you to take these truths with you. I really know how important it is that you are able to take these things and to have them later so that you'll be able to share them with others. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. We'll start in verse uh, 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, the, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Now, if you want to go back, to, go back, keep your finger here, go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 1. Really important truth in Hebrews chapter 1. Just going to read the first three verses. Again, I'm finding more and more, the older I get, I'm finding the value of the, of the passage itself, if you understand what I'm saying. In other words, instead of the clever points that preachers preach, I'm finding the power of the word of God all by itself. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Amen? When he ha look, look, who saved you? And the answer is Jesus. And according to this passage, who helped? And the answer is nobody. Well, how did he do it? How did he do it? By himself. By himself. Who got rid of your sins? Jesus. Who helped? Nobody. Nobody. Gabriel didn't help. Daniel didn't help. Right? Um, Adam didn't help. David didn't help. The Apostle Paul didn't help. Your pastor didn't help. Your parents didn't help. By himself, he purged our sins. Amen? By himself. It's wonderful. Now you get to chapter 12 and it says, so because this is true, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. But I want you to go back to verse 1 for just a moment. I, I really, this is a, I need to say this because this is such a misunderstood verse. It says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, the witnesses that are being referenced here are, are in, the wherefore obviously is making reference to chapter 11. Right? Yes? Please help me to understand this. We're in chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, it says, wherefore. Well, it has to be making reference to what's come before it. In chapter 11, we have the testimony of many people who have seen God do great things in their lives, right? By God's power. The witnesses in chapter 11 are testifying to the power of God to do what needs to be done. Yes? 
Okay, now notice, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, people preach this passage to say this all the time. Because there are so many people watching you, that's not what it's saying. What it's saying is this, I am here today to tell you Jesus is able to change you. Do you understand? Jim Bradley could stand up right now and say, I am here today to tell you that Jesus can change you. Jeff Dryley could stand and we would testify one after another, let me tell you about how terrible I am and how great Jesus is. One after another. So here's what it's saying. Seeing that you have these people, and by the way, the word compass literally means on all points of the compass around you. God has circled your life with people who he has changed. That's what it's saying. Notice what it says. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, so many people testifying to the power of God, let us lay aside. Because here's what ruins your testimony. Not that you're not a new creature, but because you are carrying the weights that God wants you to put, uh, put away. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race which is set before us. Do you want to stop being the selfish, weak Christian you find yourself to be? Yes or no? And the answer is, then stop doing it in your strength. Put, listen, if, if, if God, when God, right now, I'm, I'm, I promise you, as soon as I said lay aside the weight, so every single one of you, a weight came to your mind. Something in your life that God says, this has to go. This is ruining your ability to run the race that I want for you. Let it go. Let it go. And here's the funny thing. When you, if you sat down, if you had to bring, can you imagine this? Can you imagine, if you, whatever that thing is, whatever that weight is that you're carrying that God wants you to put down, if you had to come up here before us and testify as to why you should keep it, right? Right? Here's the weight that's in my life. Yes? It's, it's shoes. I'm only picking shoes because it's obviously not my problem. Okay? Right? Somebody asked me what, what kind of shoes I was wearing one time, and I said brown. Okay? So, okay? And you just stood up here and you said, but here's why I should keep it. Because it has value. And you'd say, that's absurd. Pastor, that's absurd. If you could put that down, can you imagine what God could do in your life if you just put that down? That's what God is saying to us. If you're a new creature, if you're a new creature, the Holy Spirit is saying to you through the testimony of the people around you, you say, why is he a better Christian than I am? Why is she a better Christian? What do they have that I don't have? And the answer is, it's not what they have that you don't have. It's what they put down that you won't put down. You want to keep these things, and God says, let go of these things. I have far better for you than that. Far, far better for you than that. Put that nonsense down. Let me fill your life with real life. Let me make the difference that I'm able to make in your life. So now it says looking away, looking away. And by the way, here's the really funny thing. So once you see the testimony of the people around you, right, I'm going to just pick a couple of people. You know, again, I'll pick Ronnie. I'll just pick Ronnie and Jim and uh, Jeff since I already was making use of them already. So I say, what, you know, what's going on in Ronnie's life that's not going on in my life? What's going on in Jim's life that's not going on in my life? What's going on in Jeff Drowley's life that's not going on in my life? What is the difference? And this is what God says. The difference is they put the things down I asked them to put down. They don't live in the sin because they don't have to live in the sin, and it's changed their lives. But then notice what he says. It says, looking unto Jesus. So here's the thing. The testimony that Ronnie and Jim and Jeff give are not what I'm supposed to follow. Do you understand? They're testifying not to their ability. They're testifying to his ability. So here's the thing. I put these things down, and I don't look at them anymore. I look at Jesus instead because that's what God is doing. This is why he's worthy because I can't change you. I can just point to the one that does. I can testify that he does change you, but I can't change you. People constantly, I mean constantly, saying, Pastor, do you have a good book for blah, blah, blah? And I do. I'll say, yeah, you know, this book I think will be helpful to you. But what I, what, what I say in my heart and mind all the time is this, your Bible. Your Bible. It's a great book. Guess what it deals with? And the answer is everything. Everything. You know, Spurgeon said many, many years ago, people, it was, it was common at that point to talk about the greatness. Spurgeon lived in a time in the world history when a great deal of really good books were being written. And people were saying that good commentaries shine light on the Word of God. And Spurgeon said this, no, no, they don't. The Bible shines light on commentaries. 
Do you understand? Commentaries don't shine light on the Bible. The Bible shines light on all commentaries. The only light in the world is the Word of God. What you say, what I say may be true, it may be helpful, but this is the light right here. Do you understand? And so I can testify to Christ, but you need to look away into Jesus. That's because he's worthy. All right, we're almost done. In fact, I, I purpose to, to rush quickly through all of these for your sake. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. I, this, the point of this one is, write it down. Re, please take these with you. It is finished. That's it, right? It is finished. That could be big, bold, underlined. Make a bumper sticker out of it, right? Jesus says, it is finished. Hey, 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 13.5. <laughs> Maybe we'll change that <laughs> going forward. <clears throat> for he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What did he say? I will what? This goes back to the song that they sang, yes? Right? I will what? Now, by the way, Frank Sells, a Bible teacher who's helped me a great, great deal, says this because it's true. This verse is a five-way negative. So this is what he's saying. I will never, 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 never leave you. I will never, 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 never leave you. Isn't that amazing? What could I do that make God leave me? I will never, 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 never leave you. That's a Savior. Being confident in this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus, right? Because he's not leaving, he's going to get it done. And then Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, right, by himself, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Amen? Our Lord Jesus is worthy. That's our Savior. These, these six points help us to understand the greatness of our Savior. Next week we will look at trust. The T, next week we're going to look at is trust. Trusting God at his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth found in your word. Lord, thank you for so great a salvation because we have so great a Savior. Lord, may, every, may everyone here know this Savior. And Father, if they don't know this Savior, may they be honest about it. Lord, may they stop me or somebody else and say, help me to see, to know this Savior. And Father, your word will show them the way to this Savior. Thank you, Father, for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me if you would.